Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I'd like to start this week's episode by doing something that no podcast host should do. Rules are made to be broken. And it's not a question. It's not me. a question. Uh, it it will lead to a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I as, like to as start. good podcast hosts do. It usually leads to a to a question of some sort. It's all about discussion, debate, open forum, thought, mm-hmm. free thinking. Yeah, reaching across the aisle, just asking a lot of questions, playing a little devil's advocate. That's what this podcast is about. Yeah, we're the ideas guys. Anyway, I'm going to start this podcast by reading a tweet. I'm going to read the tweet, and you're going to tell me who tweeted it. The tweet goes like this. Great job by the Padres to get Bob Melvin to manage the team. One of the better managers in the game. As for the A's, they get to save money. Dun, dun, dun. Who tweeted that tweet, Alex Baisley? Hmm. My first guess is us. Did we tweet that? It sounds like us. (laughs) Immediately defaulting within minutes to criticizing a team for being cheap. That sounds like us. Mm-hmm. No. Was it was it one MLB insider John Heyman? Yes. Could this that is how, be who it is? This is how we know that Rob Manfred and MLB are stacked up against the A's because John Heyman <laughs> is tweeting shit against the A's. Yeah, how do you think the the higher ups at um at MLB network felt about that? Hey John, pump the pump the brakes on the on the team criticism over here on the on the A's finances situation. That's kind of a it's embargoed right now. I would imagine that sort of thing is embargoed for, for MLB network reporters. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it in my own tone, in the voice in my own head. And perhaps what he was saying is like, they get to save money. Yay. Well, actually, All when teams I first need to read save the money. tweet, I thought he was being earnest. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely convinced that he, he, he wasn't being earnest and was like, no, the A's get to... And they save a few million dollars. You That's have a few to million lose your dollars manager they can, while they can he's still under contract for nothing, just for those few million dollars. Like the new say, yeah. market inefficiency is having your manager stay for the period of his contract. That's this, why would you do that when you could just not do that? Michael Lewis been a, been a little quiet on the money ball front, by the way. Oh, he just puts out the money. No follow up. No interrogation. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no criticism. Of what Moneyball wrought in the world, Michael Lewis? You, you write one five hundred book and I one five hundred page book, and I guess you're done, huh? Right. That's it. That was your contribution to the discourse. Where's your appearance on tipping pitches to explain how Moneyball turned into seventy three Ray's front office rants from me fifteen years later? I really respect that he dropped a a somewhat groundbreaking work that for at least the 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 broader for at least the broader public reshaped how we how we looked at baseball how um how we understood the 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 game in modern terms and then he just left and was like yeah i'm done with with that chapter of uh of my career i'm going to go do something else it's like i'm going to i'm going to let you guys go <laughs> fight amongst yourselves for the next two decades and fight we did much like the avatar when we needed michael lewis most he vanished 
Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Alex, we're going to talk about the actual World Series, which is actually still going on in the actual real world, even though it doesn't quite feel that way. We're going to talk about the impending work stoppage, lockout, strike, don't know how it's actually going to go down. We're going to talk about minor league baseball as we always do, and we will finish with three up, three down. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, obligatory plug next week, 200th episode. You heard about this? You heard about the 200th episode? For, uh, from you. All, the, all yeah. the other times where we were recording where I said this and then I asked if you were excited about the 200th episode? Yes, I think you're reminding, the, you're reminding me as much as you were reminding the listeners of this. We're like the proxy for the listener, you know? If I can make you laugh, I can make the listener laugh. If you can make me laugh or cry, you can make the listener laugh or cry. The right. 200th episode is coming up next week. Uh, unfortunately, the World Series is not over yet, so we will have to talk about the end of the World Series at the beginning of that episode, but we will quickly dispatch with that real baseball talk, and we will move on to the 200th episode. Uh, voicemail, AMA, email, question extravaganza. Please, if you have not submitted a question, you're interested in submitting a question, you may do that via email, tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. You can do that via our voicemail if you'd like to hear your voice on our show, and we would love that, 785 and we will also this week, because it is less than a week until that episode comes out, we will put out a tweet calling for those questions. Uh, we wanted to wait until the last second to do, to do that because that usually elicits like a bunch of people asking fake questions that they don't actually want to know the answer to. So I'm putting that off until the very end so that we can field as many questions as possible, but as many real questions as possible. Uh, yeah, I'd like real questions to an extent. They can be about not real thing, like not real topics, not baseball, but real questions that aren't like sarcastic, cynical, poison brain. I don't actually want to know the answer to this question. I just want you to know that I'm funny by asking it. Not right. like those. That, those come on Twitter. Right. Exactly. So the kinds of things that you and I might posed were, pose were this not our own podcast. We like, may be the, sh- be the, the ones shoe the on the other foot. Yeah, exactly. We're yeah. the mic in front of the other mouth. <laughs> yep, you got another one in there. Uh, or the headphone on the other ear. We're the we're the with the pitcher in the in the in the batter's box. <laughs> I don't I don't get that one. All right, let's talk about the World Series. Okay, um, three two, Atlanta is up. It looked for a hot second like they were going to close it out in Game Five uh, at home, and it was going to be a, a gentleman sweep of the team that we have been saying this whole time was actually a lot better than the Braves. Uh. Let's just get right into it. What are your reactions so far through through five games as we head back to Houston for game six and potentially game seven? You know, I, I feel like I have really, my, myself and perhaps the average fan out there has gone through a roller coaster of, of feels about this World Series because I think that many people were not enthused coming into the matchup, right? And you and I talked ad nauseum about... <laughs> why the reasons why morally it doesn't make sense to root for either of these teams right and it largely has nothing to do with the the thing that they actually are doing on the field which is playing baseball both of which uh, these teams are are quite good at doing uh, i sh- i will say that actually the 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 baseball that has been played in this world series i've found to be quite enjoyable all things considered the first couple games got off to a bit of a slow start I think, as we know, it was a bit of a route um, going both ways. 
And I think after the first two games, people were kind of like, we're still waiting for for like the the World Series to kick in, you know, the fall classic, still still waiting for that classic part to uh to arrive at the station. And things got a little more interesting from there, I would say. We had the 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 flirting with the no hitter, the combined no hitter, if you will. And I'm sure, you know, we may we may talk about that. We had some comebacks by both the Braves and the Astros. Things picked up, in my opinion. I'm. Do I think it's a it's a World Series that will stand the test of time? Maybe not. But all things considered, have I enjoyed watching watching these baseball games? I'd say, I'd say overall, I'd say I'm in a really weird like headspace right now where. When I'm watching the actual games, I find myself by and large enjoying them, enjoying the two teams because I enjoy a lot of the players. And it's really when you kind of step outside of that arena, right? And listen to whatever Rob Manfred is, is saying on a given day or, or, or watch the Fox broadcast pan to a, a crowd of, uh, of white people doing a, doing a racist chant and gesture. You know, those are the things. Pan lovingly, you could solely, say. Pan lovingly. Like, oh my God, I turned on, uh, I think it was game five the other day, and they were doing their little intro tee up. And it wasn't just like a shot of the chop. It was like seven consecutive, you know, it was like, we're going to show you section 312 doing it and 110. And the folks in the bleachers and the folks in the nosebleeds. We Equal just want to make sure you know everyone, the the fascist former president in the box suites. Like, yeah, it's everywhere you turn. Yeah, he was doing like the fascist plus version of the chop. His right. was really rigid. It was like, he, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into that. This is that's going to poison the well of this conversation. <laughs> game four was the one for me. That was the best game of the series so far. That was a real bona fide World Series game. Great play on both sides, particularly the Eddie Rosario catch and that being the other side of the coin of Jordan Alvarez being unable to make a similarly amazing grab as Jorge Soler homered for the Braves after going back-to-back with Dandy Swanson to give them the 3-2 lead and eventually that lead would hold on as they went up 3-1 in the series. Um, It's been a bit of a weird series so far Far, though, because while I agree that that game had some great baseball, there have been some highlight moments, highlight performances, standout performances from guys who you can spin a narrative about. I think that for me, it's been more so that Houston has just not played that well in the games that they've lost. And they've played this. This is going to sound very reductive, but they've played a lot better in the games that they've won. They've looked a lot more like themselves. It hasn't been like Houston has looked like this powerhouse team and Atlanta is just felling them at every turn to me it's been more like houston's let themselves down and i felt like less the braves winning and more the astros losing right and that maybe seems a little bit unfair to atlanta and i think that it's kind of deceptive the way that they've been beating teams all postseason because like their bullpen who i don't think that everybody thought was really the strong suit of the team coming into the year they've really shown out um and they've really looked very very good and then some games they just look like they don't quite have it and i guess that that can happen when you're bullpenning games you just not every guy might be not every guy might be as rested as he needs to be um and then that can just sort of lead to a snowballing effect against a, a lineup that is as deep as houston's but you know i re, i quoted this from foolish from foolish baseball and 
the stat heading into game five, this was before Houston kind of exploded a little bit in game five and scored nine runs and won that game convincingly. Hitters are slashing 172, 259, 263 with runners in scoring position versus Atlanta this postseason. Now, again, that was before game five yesterday. So those numbers are probably a lot higher now, given that Houston scored a, a few two out runs yesterday um, and had a, a ton of hits. But that's really bad. And we're like in game five of the World Series now. That's like a decent sample of innings. You know, that's like almost a month's worth of games of teams just forgetting how to hit when there are guys on second and third against them. And that'll propel you to the World Series. I'll tell you what, that'll propel you to a 3-1 series. But it might not close it out for you. You might need to do a little bit more than that um, if you want to actually stick the sword in the Astros, twist it, and kill them. Because, man, giving up a Grand Slam in bottom of the first inning on the road, down 3-1 in the series, and then clawing back and winning a game that it was barely ever in doubt after the fourth or fifth inning, that's real comeback stuff right there. That is real champion-level flip-the-script stuff that they did in that game. So we'll see. I mean, this is all just narrative BS until it completes itself, but I did think that they missed a golden opportunity there. Similarly to how I felt like Houston blew a golden opportunity in game four to wrestle back control of the series with those back-to-back home runs. Like It seemed like that was Houston's game to lose, especially given the fact that they left double-digit runners on base and only ended up scoring two runs in that game. A lot has happened and also very little has happened, right? And I think that at the end of the day, a lot of these games have felt kind of like run-of-the-mill baseball game. You know, we haven't had a lot of those like trademark October moments. I've I, I feel like, you know, those those moments that you will look back on and say, wow, we're gonna be thinking about that for for years to come, right? Obviously you mentioned Eddie Rosario's catch, which was amazing. And it, Ian Anderson's, you know, five no hit innings and the and the team going on to to throw a two hit shutout against the Astros. I mean, it was a wonderful performance by that pitching staff. But I haven't gotten like goosebumps. No, not a lot anything of yet? not a lot of bang bang plays. <laughs> What's the bang bang play index on this on this series so far? It's, I don't know. What's 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 the scale we're talking about? It's a four? <laughs> is it is it is this weighted? Scale it, yeah, weight it. Scale it to one hundred. Bang bang play index seventy. <laughs> All right, sixty. Um. I agree. The game the game's feel really normal. Um Houston is leading the series run differential 20 to 18 despite being down 3 to 2. So none of the games that Houston wins are super close and none of the games that Atlanta wins are blowouts. So I just don't I mean I guess that's baseball, right? As a small sample 7 game series. I I don't know. Maybe that's a good opportunity to ask you what you think is going to happen in game 6 and 7. Not that I have to hold you to this prediction or anything like that, but you know, do you think Houston can pull off the 3-1 comeback? Do you think that they can perpetuate the Atlanta sports curse, which is really <laughs> ringing around the Georgia area right now? Mm-hmm. They must be really feeling it. In my professional opinion, and I'll use a lot of uh, analytics to back this up, I feel like the Braves got to pull it off. Right? That was it? That was the professional those opinion? Were my, you, those, you were my, those were the analytics that I was using to, to back it up. Is, right? It kind of feels like it, right? <laughs> the intonation you know? at the like, end, right? <laughs> I mean, that's rhetorical flair. 
That's there how you is win some, <laughs> Exactly. There is something about the team that does feel a little bit special, right? The fact that they fortified their outfield at the, the deadline with a lot of run-of-the-mill players who on any other team might be uh, a role player or a fourth outfielder or something like that, and they've managed to cobble together some really incredible moments. Um, again, the... That doesn't mean anything when you're out there on the field in front of 40,000 screaming Astros fans and Ted Cruz. But, you know, you mentioned kind of the Astros not really showing up. And the Braves do feel like the kind of team that are that will be able to capitalize on that sort of thing, right? Now that they're... The Astros only have to win two, right? The Braves only have to win. So it's not like the the Braves have a massive lead in this series or anything like that. But it really only takes a, a couple mistakes or the or the bats going quiet for the Astros for a few innings for the Braves to really eke this out. And if they can hand it over to the bullpen and see their guys really like do what they can do, like they've been doing this postseason, then I think they have a good shot at, at making it happen. They just feel like a really well-rounded team. They don't yes. have a lot of holes. Correct. But it's so I think the Braves can can do it. Are you are you on board with that? No, I think Houston's going to win. Yeah, you think they'll pull it out? I think they will. Should we place bets? Should we uh, should we bet some crypto on this? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to bet one 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 thousand one hundred ninety seventh of a Bitcoin on this game. Right. Um, <laughs> to the moon. No, I. It feels less than likely that Houston will do it because they would have had to win three straight games. They will have to win two straight games from this point. You'd never pick a team to beat another team this late in the season two straight times if you were going to truly believe the analytics. But I think going back home, I think Houston obviously hits very well at home. A couple times in the broadcast where Joe Buck and John Smoltz just said that without really like realizing how that would reverberate around mainly Twitter, but... Houston hits so incredibly well at home and then a bunch of people at home making jokes about the sign stealing. Um, I just think that there is a snowballing effect to their lineup and their team that can just get away from Atlanta very quickly. And I think that, that if As they're we going saw in to, game five. Right. And if they're going to play that they're anything approaching their best version of a game, then I don't really think Atlanta stands a chance. And I didn't before the season either, or before the series started either. So maybe I'm wrong. And maybe you're right. Maybe Atlanta will sneak one in game six or absolutely crushed the Astros on the road in Game 7. Did you see the stat that no team has clinched the World Series on their home field since 2013? Really? Isn't that kind of hard to believe? It is kind of hard to believe. 17 was the one that I thought Houston won at home, but I guess I'm wrong. I guess I was wrong there. Uh, Okay, so you got Atlanta. I got Houston. Let's talk really quickly about... I have it written down in my notes as imminent work stoppage. Um, we got a few reports before the World Series that Rob Manfred and Tony Clark had met and discussed the upcoming CBA expiration, but we haven't heard much since then. We've obviously had a couple trickle, couple news items trickle out over the last few months about the things, the various things that they were discussing, the various pressure points that each side was most interested in discussing in the lead-up negotiations to when the CBA expires on December first. We've discussed those items in detail. But I'm curious, Alex, um, I guess we'll start here. I was listening to Effectively Wild uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Michael Bauman, my coworker at The Rigor, was ho- co-hosting, filling in for Ben Lindbergh. 
Um, and Meg Rowley, who is the regular host of that show, asked him what scenario he thinks is most likely out of this offseason on the labor front. So I'll steal that question and ask you the same thing. The four options that Meg presented were new deal before December 1st, extension of the current deal and a new deal like immediately after December 1st and like maybe a week after. The deal expires, but a new deal before the season starts uh, or like an extended labor stoppage. We miss a lot of next year. So out of those four options, what do you think is the most likely outcome based on what you're you're feeling as we start to hear word of imminent work stoppage or imminent failure to agree upon a new CBA before the December 1st deadline expiration? Right. Well, this was this conversation was renewed via uh, an AP News article from from Ronald Bloom about a week ago that was basically his take after talking to sources, right? Saying it feels like we have a work stoppage looming. For their part, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark seemed relatively optimistic talking uh, before the World Series. They were like, yeah, well, we feel like we're going to get a deal done. I feel like they're probably legally obligated to to say that because the last thing you want to do is so doubt. Definitely <laughs> legally obligated to say that. I can confirm right, exactly. that. <laughs> yes. It feels at this point almost certain that we are going to get a work stoppage and it's not going to feel like a work stoppage because it's the off season and we won't see that actually impact the game itself. Um, but I think we're going to get a lockout. Nothing that we have heard over the last few months has indicated that they are anywhere close to reaching a a deal. The 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 proposals that we've heard floated from both sides seem radically far apart, and that's not to say that they haven't been negotiating in the interim. But I don't see a a scenario in which the frankly the owners feel compelled to actually make their best faith proposal prior to the expiration of the agreement. Because frankly, the owners have a little more leverage in this situation, right? Because it's not in the middle of the season, the the players, I mean, the players could strike, but it wouldn't do much to impact owners' bottom line. And and with the the luxury tax rules expiring with the CBA, the thinking is that teams are going to be far less incentivized to actually sign free agents or make deals with anyone without a contract in place, right? Because why would they if you don't know what the luxury tax is or or what arbitration looks like or anything like that? So I think the owners see it as they probably have a decent runway to get things done. I mean, there's a couple months, right? I mean, spring training doesn't actually start until mid-February. So I feel like the most likely scenario is on December 2nd, the owners file whatever legal papers they have to do to create a lockout and negotiations go from there. And my guess is by the time that February rolls around, they probably will have hammered out a deal because I don't really think either side is interested in missing a boatload of games this year. But then again, I don't know. Things have been really acrimonious over the last couple of years. And I think that the players are going to be a lot more militant than maybe they would have been in years past, given 
how poorly negotiations went over the shortened COVID season, right? I think players are going to be slightly more willing to to dig their heels in and not cede uh, more ground to management than they have to. So we'll see. But my instinct is saying we'll get a lockout that that likely ends around the time that spring training gets into into full gear and maybe we maybe we miss some spring training games maybe no. opening days push back a week no but like <laughs> we must have those spring training games um so yeah so the, it's that middle path that a lot of people assume is going to happen because it's in everyone's best interest to have labor peace in an industry that makes billions of dollars every year but a couple of things a couple of things by the way you, you answered it the same way that bauman did so congratulations um <laughs> And being in solidarity with our um, annual state of labor correspondent. Uh, we, we have the hive mind together. Uh, yeah, a couple of things that you said, though. I, I think it's basically in, unless the owners come with some sweetheart deal before December 1st, which as you expertly laid out, they probably won't because they don't need to. I think it's basically in everyone's interest to let this current CBA expire. I don't think it's in anyone's interest to lose games over this. but if the owners are still offering a shitty deal come February 1st, I think that the players should continue not to agree to it um, because I think that, that is every worker's right to withhold their labor unless they are offered terms with which which they think are fair. That's the whole point of the negotiation. But like the players have been publicly maligned by the owners basically for our entire lives and they've been made out to be the reason that there ever might not be labor peace in baseball. And that finally started to shift last year in the return to play package where they, they had this coordinated message where they said, tell us when and where we want to come back. We want to, we want to play because we want to put on as much a season as possible, both for the fans and also for ourselves. So we can continue and for the league, for the greater league. So we can continue to bring in money I, I think that it's a kind of a double-edged sword as to the fact that the CBA expires in December on December 1st in the offseason because on the one hand, you can say, well, it's much more public if it ends in the middle of a season and the players can then weaponize that. But I think it's a bigger risk too because that sort of backfired in 1994. They did get a lot of wins, so I guess it didn't really backfire. But in terms of public, in the court of public opinion, they lost a lot of public favor with with fans. I think that it's reasonable to be optimistic about the fact that fans might be more accepting of something like that if it happened in the 21st century. But I don't think it's reasonable to assume that a majority of fans would be okay with that because who do you blame if your team is not doing well? Typically, most fans don't blame the owner. They blame the players because they watch them play every day and they watch them lose a lot of days. So, And if your team's not playing at all, then the players are just gone and it's just like this ever-present reminder that the players don't aren't willing to come in and work. Now, that is all capitalist brain drain bullshit but you know a lot of people think that way um but back to my circling all the way back to my point about it ending on december 1st and it's not in the player's interest to accept a deal before then because they have legitimate gripes about how the last few years have gone how the last five to eight years of free agency spending has gone how year-over-year spending is actually going down when revenue is going up they have legitimate gripes about all of that stuff. And unless the owners truly come with what you know is their best offer, 
which is very hard to prove, then you haven't quite done your due diligence in being a militant union, which the MLBPA at least was conceived as when Marvin Miller started it because they fought a lot of battles very aggressively. And that's been much written about. You haven't really done your due diligence in extracting as much possible out of the other side in this negotiation because you've been mad. Don't forget the fact that you've been mad for the last five years because they've been treating you like shit and eroding the power of your union because of it, because of those exploding revenues that they've been able to leverage for their side and not your side. And again, I say you can't forget the fact that they were, in your opinion, in your legal opinion still, operating in bad faith in the return to play package, which need I remind everyone that that lawsuit is still unsettled. That billion dollar lawsuit that the players are suing on the ownership side for is still unsettled. So I think it's basically a 0% chance that they agree to terms before December 1st because of that reason, because the players need to send a signal, send an overture to the management side that this can't happen in the lead up to the next expiration of the next CBA. It's all about the long game. Win the battle, but also make sure you're still winning the war. And you can't just accept a decent win of this battle if it means that you're allowing them to set the terms of the war in the way that they have in the last five years. Yeah, I think that ever since the 94 strike, owners did their best to make certain that players would never have that leverage again, right? That that players would not be the one to call the strike. Because again, like you said, they managed to win a good amount of concessions there, right? And so that's a, this is why the, the CBA is aspiring in December and not in, in July or whatever. Um, but, the, but the other side of that is that an owner-imposed lockout does tend to push public opinion towards the side of players, right? Because the players are saying, as you, as you mentioned, they had their, whole, their messaging down during the shortened season negotiations by saying, hey, we're ready to play. If you give us fair terms, we'll come and do it. And so I do think that that's something that the owners probably have in mind is they don't want to see a protracted work stoppage that is because of them because I think the public will turn on them pretty quickly. And I'm pretty sure that Rob Manfred does not want to be the reason that baseball has baseball season end to labor peace after 26 years, right? Knowing how, how poorly he's doing in the, in the approval ratings category already, I can't imagine that he wants to go down as the commissioner who breaks that labor peace. And the other tool that players have, which we haven't even mentioned, at least on this episode, is expanded playoffs, right? Which is a massive bargaining chip that owners want incredibly badly. And so while, while owners, I think, will have a, a good amount of leverage in the, in the first few weeks or even month or so in negotiations, like we've said, I, I don't think it's in either side's best interest to let it actually bleed over into the regular season. And I think you'll find that owners are are not really interested in letting that happen either because there is both a cultural war for them to be lost and, and an economic war. There's a lot of money on the line. So we'll see. This, is, this has been inevitable for, for months. We have foreshadowed this for a while now. And while it's certainly going to be less 
exciting and it's going to feel like less than a, than a player's strike. I am hoping that the, the union is, is unified on what they want and can actually use that position to, to extract some real wins because there's a lot wrong with baseball's economic system and the, and the play itself, what is, goes on on the field. So the players have a lot to win if they can actually get their ducks in a row. I think chief among those things, you mentioned expanded playoffs, right? That's what the owners want. I think chief among what players should want is lowering the age with which you are allowed to start making your most money because the age of the best players is getting lower and lower every year just because of the different ways that teams develop players at younger ages now, the different expectations of players at younger ages, the different international exploitations of teenagers causes younger players to be making it to the majors earlier. There are many different global factors as to why players are better younger. And yet, the CBA is still preventing them from making the proper money that they're making at those ages. And, you know, we've talked a million times about how that specificity still leaves out minor leaguers from the equation. However, a win for younger players in the major league union can be spun at least publicly as momentum and shifting public opinion towards a win for even younger players who are in the minor leagues, you know, or even uh, less established big leaguers who are not established at all and are still in minor league baseball, still making below minimum wage in most cases. Um, we got a little bit of news on that front today. The the court federal court hearing for the class action lawsuit um, that has been led in the public and in the courts by Garrett Brocious um, that we've talked about a bunch of times on this show. It is sort of like this ominous looming thing that is coming in, I think, June of 2022. Um, but there was a little bit of reporting in The Athletic today from Daniel Kaplan about how both sides are gathering up as much evidence as possible to present pre-trial to the different federal courts to try to win the case before it even happens. Um, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't totally know how common or normal this is. It seems like it's a normal practice to present as much as many exhibits and as many items to the diff- the various sides across the various sides in the case before it actually gets heard by the federal judge. And one of those items that the uh, the minor leaguers side presented was a, an actual Steve Cohen tweet. Any of you will remember us discussing this Steve Cohen tweet. It came after the Mets failed to sign their first round draft pick, Kamar Rocker, and Steve Cohen tweeted, education time. Baseball draft picks are worth up to five times their slot value to clubs. I never shy away from investments that can make me that type of return. So the side, the minor leaguers side is trying to present this as evidence as to how much value the minor leaguers are actually bringing the club compared to how much money they are being paid back. And how MLB's side is arguing that they don't need to pay them more than minimum wage because they're contractual workers and the minor league teams are not profitable as it is so it's it's not necessary to pay these guys what they're actually worth to the greater organization so all of these factors are linking baseball teams together in a legal sense in a public opinion sense in a labor solidarity sense in a way that they have never been linked before. The enemy for the MLBPA, Steve Cohen. The MLB for minor leaguers in court, 
Steve Cohen. On Steve Cohen's side, Rob Manfred. The enemy of us, Rob Manfred. You know what I mean? It's like everybody is now starting to train their focus on the ownership side. And I, I think that that is a good thing. I'm cautiously optimistic. I have to begrudgingly respect the hell out of the fact that Steve Cohen is posting his way towards paying minor leaguers fair wages. Un- completely unintentionally, this man logged on to Twitter one morning and said, you know what I'm going to do? Accidentally upend the sports economic system. <laughs> <laughs> Whom among us? And if we could have done it, we would have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Anything else to say on this or should we take a quick break? No. Let's get to three up, three down. All right, Alex. Three up, three down. Let's start with down. Let's start with you. Are you ready? <laughs> no, I'm I saying, I'm guess. saying, I'm starting with. It, it's actually me. My down this week is you. You're a downer. Um, oh. You're taking away my joy. I don't like doing this anymore. I know. Eric Bledsoe tweet. I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You go first. Down this week. Oh. What to pick first? There's a plethora of options over here as an A's fan. Let's go with Bob Melvin. You know, the Oakland A's manager, the one of the more revered managers in baseball. You know, the, the, the second longest tenured A's manager behind the story, Connie Mack. You know, the A's manager who had just had his option picked up for, for next season. Ah, yes. Coaching the Padres. New new Padres manager. Incredible. This news broke on like a random Thursday night. And correct me if I'm wrong, every single aspect of this took everyone by surprise. I don't think anyone even really had an awareness that, that Melvin was looking at other managerial jobs, that the A's would let him walk from his contract and i am of two minds of the uh, i am of two minds on this one the the padres got a really great dude over there for a clubhouse that could probably use an experienced manager in it as we saw i mean we they they had their their issues over the last year and a, and a second half collapse didn't didn't bode well for jace tingler anyway um but I think it helps to have someone who knows his way around a winning ball club and I knows how to navigate the relationship between the the front office and the the coaching staff and who is even keeled and gets along with players like this is these are all wins for the Padres. As for the Oakland A's, what's uh what's what's the dealio? What's what do we what do we got cooking up, Johnny Yo, boy? I really don't know. It's confounding. You're right. Your characterization is completely correct. This happened on a random Thursday night. Nobody saw it coming. There were no whispers, no trickling of this news. I didn't even see it until the next morning. <laughs> didn't even yeah. see it. Didn't even see it. it was just living my life. Um, and a couple of people made fun of me, and I was like, "Sorry, I was fucking." My phone was on. Do not disturb. Um, 
It was very weird, both in that nobody knew that Bob Melvin was available or looking for another job, and also in that Oakland didn't get any compensation back. There's obviously precedent for gaining compensation, draft pick, or financial compensation for executives or managers or coaches or whatever it ends up being, not just for players. So it really did seem like a... The only real explanation you can have for this is that the A's are going to blow it up or move or both. And Billy Bean wanted to let his friend stay in California and go manage an up-and-coming team. I hate for that to be the read here, but I just don't have another explanation for it. I I don't either. This felt to me a bit like them saying, get out before the ship starts sinking. You know? You, we, we respect you. We don't want to leave you here with, a, with an emptied out roster. We're going to let you go with grace before we tear down. And that's really unfortunate because you know who's been a really good baseball team over the last few years and has some really good players on it? Yeah, basically since like 2012, they've been pretty good. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, this sort of reminds me of when all of those senators got tips about the pandemic, how it was going to tank the stock market, and then they went and sold (laughs) a bunch of shit. (laughs) Sorry, Bob Melvin. Don't mean to compare you to (laughs) to insider trading. Kelly Loeffler, but you know, it's insider trading is very acceptable in the baseball world. Baseball world is built on insider trading. Yeah, seriously. Uh, all right, what is first down for you this week? Speaking of things that the baseball world is now built on, Alex, not just insider trading, but uh, gambling, sports gambling. I think that maybe you'll recall we've talked about this a few times. Uh, guess who, which aforementioned owner is interested in building a casino? Oh, it's Steve Cohen, baby. That's right. Steve Cohen is in talks. With some Las Vegas casino ring. doesn't No free ads. No free ads, Las Vegas casinos. Um, to put a new casino close by City Field. Because you know what's going to really revitalize the good, hardworking people of Queens? A casino. Every, you know, casino. Everybody says the customers always win at, at casinos, right? That's what I've heard about casinos. <laughs> You know where I love to go spend a good amount of time is the area surrounding City Field also. Yeah. Lots going on there. It's really hopping. Lots of places to get drinks. It's just, it's not, contrary to what most people claim, a massive parking lot. It's not. Wow. The world shade, is your oyster. You shade know? to flushing, my guy. Shade <laughs> to flushing. No, most of that deepest part of Queens is just residential. Um, yeah. I, there's like no economic or social goods reason why you need to put a casino there other than that sports betting and baseball run so deep that it just makes sense for for all of the baseball executives to be within a close driving distance of all of the casino executives like that is literally the only reason it's not like there are millions of aspiring 11 year old card dealers who are just waiting for the right job opportunity when they matriculate through high school it's not going to create a bunch of jobs. Yeah, but this stuff is inextricable from the sport at this point. Even if it's not going to be city field casino, they're going to feed into each other. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's you have the if 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 one person is owning both, 
that's just business. You want them to to be in conversation with each other. So it's the the casinoization of Major League Baseball continues. I for one, I for one welcome our new gambling overlords. I mean, baseball's name of the game in baseball has always been money laundering. Why make it more complicated than it needs to be? Uh, yeah, that's true. Speaking of you know crooked business operations, did you see that our good friend Chris Christie? is advising Steve Cohen on how to hire a new GM. According to Disha Tosar of the New York Daily News, Cohen is mostly talking with uninformed people about the Mets GM job, like former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and folks at his hedge fund, Point72, who serve as some of his advisors during the search, according to a source familiar with the situation. Christie joined the Mets Board of Directors in February. Forgot about that. And his son, Andrew, also works for the Mets as the coordinator of amateur and international scouting. Cohen keeps Alderson informed on the status of the search and occasionally asks him to dig around for more candidates per the source. I I don't know about you, but I can't think of anybody to look for a new anybody better to look for a new GM than Chris Christie. Frankly, give it to him. Just let him be Just the give, GM. Give him give him the job. I mean, the list is running kind of short right now. I think you and I are on the list at this point. From an, from another person on Mets Twitter who appears to Perhaps just be a podcast host, but I guess he talks to sources. Everybody talks to sources now. Everybody has a source. I have a source. You're my source. Yeah. You're always right. No one around Steve Cohen is too concerned right now. This is from Jack W. Ramsey. From a source close to the owner, quote, no one is concerned. All he fucking does is win. Hmm. The the last year of the New York Mets says otherwise, but yeah, sure. Things have gone real great uh, in the business suites over at the New York Metropolitan's baseball organization, right? We're up to like rejected script ideas for the TV show Billions level of operations Mm -hmm. over in Queens right now. Yeah. Chris Christie? Chris Christie? All right, next down for you. (laughs) Chris Christie? Um, Well, you uh I'm sorry that I'm a miserable A's fan, but that's that's who I am. Remain to uh to my core. And uh and you mentioned the only possible reason they could let Bob Melvin walk is either blowing up the team or uh or leaving. Well, this weekend the the A's sent out an email to fans of the Las Vegas Aviators. That's the that's the Ace AAA affiliate right now. To say, hey guys, what are your thoughts on uh, on a baseball team in Las Vegas? What are your thoughts on a baseball team that rhymes with athletics in uh, on the Las Vegas Strip? Athletics. <laughs> were you ever part of? Were you ever a mathlete? Um, I was a part of the Oakland A's mathletics. Oh. Uh, uh, you know, shtick, whatever it was, you know, where you'd like, uh, you would like sign up to be a part of the program and you send in some, some math problems and they send you like a backpack full of swag. It was great. Nice. I had my timetables down front to back. Wow. This is why America is so far ahead of the rest of the world. The baseball teams ask you to send in math problems. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I, I, this doesn't actually 
I think, indicate anything different. This is just a part of the same, you know, round of quote unquote feelers that they've been putting out over the last year, year plus. But it doesn't bring me much peace or solace knowing that they're asking Las Vegas baseball fans what their thoughts are on a Las Vegas baseball team. Some of the, uh, some of the questions on the poll were fair, fairly straightforward, but I think my favorite collection of questions were about the ballpark design as it relates to a potential roof. Because as you know, Las Vegas tends to get a little warm during the summer months. And as you may also know, it's only going to get hotter. <laughs> and so they are forced to say, of these three options, what do you most prefer, an open-air ballpark, a retractable roof ballpark, or a fully enclosed ballpark? What would you prefer if you were going to see a baseball game in Las Vegas? It feels like, obviously, retractable roof, you could have both options. Right? I don't know. What, like, who is I there mean, saying it are must we be enough? Including all of the other accoutrements that come with a tractable roof, like a ha- how I have, like every business in the area has to give like a one time $10,000 stipend to them to build this retractable roof about how the taxpayers have to have their taxes raised for the next probably 13 years to pay for the retractable roof. Do we have to include all of that in, in my answer? Or do you want me to just say face value what I think would be best? Yeah, I don't think it's a good there idea. Was no, to sign there was no long answer <laughs> option. <laughs> Can I give notes? Am I allowed to give notes? Um, I've always been more of an open-ended, ex- extended essay answer kind of guy. Uh, I don't think that Matt Olson should be playing in 114 degree heat for the next three years. If that's what you're asking. The reason I didn't say Matt Chapman is because he's not going to be playing there at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pile on Alex hours. That hurts. At least I'll be able to watch him out here in Queens, you know? Yes, that is right. Finally coming around. You got so mad Whatever. when I suggested that last year. At this point, I just accept my fate. I was, you know, such is life. Okay, you're up. Wait, last thing on this. It's it's kind of a power move to just, as the climate crisis barrels towards us, to just be like, we'll lean in and we'll we'll adapt to the desert before the rest of the world is a desert, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they'll be hardened to it. They'll be like Bane, <laughs> Yeah, you know? <laughs> like, the, you don't want to be playing in Oakland when Oakland becomes a desert. Right, Or floods, exactly. you know? And it doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, the slightly inland Bay Area is just desert. You don't right. want that. Can't, can't watch your surrounding city slowly turn into a desert if you already live in one. Yes, my thoughts exactly. Um, speaking of the Bay Area, my next down is Giants owner Charles Johnson. Everybody, quick round of applause for Charles Johnson, who pledged that the San Francisco Giants and baseball ownerships, his baseball ownership in general, would not contribute to political candidates who were, you know, loosely arguing in favor of treason, I guess you could say. Uh, this came after it, it it was reported that he had supported Lauren Boebert uh, who is a California representative who's like deeply QAnon MAGA stop the steal type of person and then it came out just today or yesterday that Charles Johnson has been contributing to the campaign of Herschel Walker for senator in Georgia Herschel Walker 
former uh, professional football player who is a, a real big stop the steal guy. It's kind of like his whole thing. It's like stop the steal. Vote me for senator. I'll stop the like steal. Like some of some of Trump's going to stop the steal. Some of Trump's cronies are like distancing themselves from him. Like that's that's where we're at right now. Is they're like, hang on, you're a little too radical for us. Well, they know that they have a lawsuit, current lawsuit in right. court about the stop the steal thing. Herschel Walker has not, you know, impugned himself because he hasn't held elected office yet. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's the whole story right there. Is he committed to it? And less than one year later, he was like, you know what? I'm back in on treason. I'm back, baby. Give me some more treason again. I just, I miss it so much. Treason, not even in his own state. Not even in his own state. He's just going out of his way to tip the scales in elections 2,500 miles away from him. Just because he can and wants to and doesn't have anything else to do with his money. You know what? Treason for me and for thee. Giants minor leaguers don't need the money. Herschel Walker needs the money. Who else will deliver us from this stolen nation? (laughs) Certainly not... Some guy in high A hitting 285. <laughs> no, but he will return five times his investment. So I mean, that's just a fact. That's that's why we, all, we keep that, him around. I mean, that's known. That is an accepted fact because Steve Cohen tweeted it. Uh, Steve Cohen also tweeted that the Mets' OPS numbers are terrible. Just look at them. And guess what? He was right about that too. Steve Cohen doesn't miss. All he does is <laughs> fucking win. All right, your final down this week. My final down is just the comments that Rob Anfred made prior to the start of the World Series on topics including, but not limited to, the the vaunted chop performed by Atlanta Braves fans. It got to the point where I'm somewhat impressed at the amount of lies he was able to get into like such a short quote. And I'll, and I'll read you some of the things that he said right now. This, uh, this comes from Chelsea Janes. He says, the, the Native American community in that region is wholly supportive of the Braves program. Program? Okay. Uh, including the CHOP. That's, we already have a lie there. Uh, for me, that's kind of the end of the story. Are we doing like the Pinocchio what? meter? You know? Like, are we doing like PolitiFact right now? die here will live long enough to see yourself become (laughs) capitol hill fact checkers in that market we're taking into the to account the native american community okay (laughs) we're taking them into account (laughs) not what they want just them their existence (gasps) right exactly we're recognizing that they're there i (laughs) rob manfred came out and said we're on stolen land we will continue to steal more Uh, bald face lie but what he followed it up with was I think actually even more impressive like pretzel twisting that he was doing uh, he said we we don't market our game on a nationwide basis Ooh. Um, why man you ever just you, hanging you out don't? you ever just you ever just hanging out Alex you're the commissioner of baseball and you just admit that you don't market the game nationally <laughs> just chilling hanging out just admitting you ever just go to a meeting, Alex, and you just say, I don't work on Tuesdays. <laughs> you just write to your boss. Just never do it. He continues, ours is an everyday game. Okay, uh, those, are, those are just words that don't mean anything, but I respect that he at least broke up the, the string of lies. Lunch pail game, uh, you could say. 
you have to you have to sell tickets every single day to fans in that market. I uh, I suppose that's that's true. You do have to sell tickets every day to fans in that market and all markets. <laughs> that's that's the name of the you game. We just like to have a conversation about states' rights versus federal rights. That's what this is about. And there are all sorts of differences among the clubs, among the regions, as to how the game is marketed. So this is this is him saying, look, we get it. We hear your concerns. The thing is, Braves fans are a little more racist than your average baseball fan. And as a result, we need to, to defer to them on this one. They're the ones buying the tickets. They want to be racist. I've... We need them to show up to games. The most troubling part of this is that that wasn't even verifiable until they chose this path. Until, like, I don't think that that was true about the majority of Braves fans. The majority of Atlanta is not suburban white people. The majority of Atlanta is working class black people. And the fandom of the team in the 90s, when they still played in downtown Atlanta, was one of the blackest fan bases in all of baseball and instead they chose to flee to the suburbs and play in Cobb County which has been much discussed about and they opted into a certain type of fan they catered to I should say they catered to a certain type of fan that would appreciate that move that would feel seen by the team's continued acceptance of the chop even though they tried to distance themselves for a hot sec if you've watched the last three games uh, of the World Series, you know that they continue to accept the chop. And now what Rob Manfred said might be true, but they also made that problem out of thin air. And for what? For for tax breaks to build a new stadium that everybody just like worships at the altar of because it looks cool on TV when you have a drone shot of it? It's all a scam, man. It's a scam. It's a scam. And the commissioner of baseball should not be out there proving that before the most important series of the year. You know, you know who really needs to be seen by a billion dollar sports industry? Acolytes of white flight. Those that's the silent majority, frankly. And Rob Manfred is just giving a voice to the voiceless. Man. If Rob Manfred doesn't stop openly admitting what owners do, he's gonna be the voiceless in about three years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rob Manfred and Steve Cohen are Steve Cohen are going toe to toe on who can get kicked out of the league first. <laughs> Somewhere Jerry Reinsdorf is throwing an absolute tantrum today. <laughs> uh, okay, my final down this week is wow, very convenient that that was your third down because I'm looking down now and I wrote these notes earlier today and forgot that my third down was the conversation that Joe Buck and John Smoltz had about the Atlanta ballpark, truest park. Mm. Uh, this came in game five of the World Series. You know, I hmm, it's very in vogue to complain about Joe Buck and John Smoltz, as it always has been. Much of it is earned. Some of it is not. I think that Joe Buck in particular has done a good job calling the actual games, the actual on-field games. It's been a little bit awkward when he's talked about the sign-stealing scandal, but how could it not be? I've said multiple times on this podcast that it's impossible to talk about the Astros. I don't know why it would be any more possible for the guy who's literally calling the game to talk about the Astros. That must be a very hard job. Uh, John Smoltz, whatever. The two of the the two of them, the conversation that they had about Truist Park 
and the surrounding battery area and the way that it's been built up and the type of shit that is there and who it caters to as you just laid out just missed man it was a it was a full-on eyes closed o2 whiff at a curveball that bounced 57 feet they literally said and this ballpark revitalized the area like they it's just literally the talking points from the people who wrote up the plans the like construction plans and pitched it to the city council that then gave tax breaks to the Braves to build this stadium. It was all just like, you know, when like something vibrates on the same frequency and it just shatters. That's what it (laughs) felt like to hear me for, for me to hear them saying, and it just revitalized this area. You can't deny it. This is a beautiful park. And then not mention any of the other stuff that we've just spent the last five minutes talking about, man. I felt like I was losing it. I really did. I really did. I, shattered i was the wine glass that shattered when the soprano hit the correct note none of these buzzwords just mean anything anymore revitalize revitalized what if you can just say anything is revitalized for any reason we revitalized the podcast industry yeah we did we did no that's right we did now you agree that we revitalized the podcast industry i mean i I'm listening to my he- in my headphones right now, and I don't hear anyone saying anything to the contrary. So it's got to be right, right. So the podcast industry has been revitalized by us. Correct. Okay, yes. great. Just saying it a couple more times so that it really hammers home to people because that's all MLB did. That's all MLB mm-hmm. and sports owners have ever done about the ballpark thing. They just say that it revitalizes the, the neighborhood, and they never prove it. They never say anything else. Did you see? Uh, Manfred being asked about like politics, is it harder to get politics out of the game these days? And he's like, well, it's harder than it used to be. You know, we've always tried to stay apolitical. Uh, There was a notable exception this year, but our desire is to try and avoid another exception to that general rule. And I'm like, every action you take outside of the chalk lines is politics. Yeah, bro. Everything you do, moving to the suburbs. Sounded like Logan Roy right now, dude. (laughs) People are politics. And I know politics. Aren't, aren't they? <laughs> uh, sorry, let me refresh my memory. There was a bill that went through Congress that had something to do with minor leaguers. But I don't I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank on who who made the charge on that one. Imagine postulating that your business is going to quote unquote save America's pastime and then saying that you're apolitical. Yeah. Just imagine the amount the, the level of high on your own supply that you must be to say both of those things out of two different sides of your mouth. It's gnarly stuff. All right, can we go to up at risk of yes. this podcast just shutting itself off because it's overheating? First up this week, we're talking arm barns. Arm barns. That's right. <laughs> PETA. Those... L- laughably lovable <laughs> lovably laughable <laughs> folks animal rights activist uh, says they are they're looking to liberate the language we use in baseball and they'd like to retire the term bullpen in favor of arm barn that's their that's their proposed replacement the reason they've said that is that uh, they claim somewhat erroneously uh, <laughs> that the, the 
<laughs> the term bullpen in baseball refers to the the area of a bull's pen where bulls are held before they're slaughtered. It's a word with speciesist roots, and we can do better than that. I'm trying to hold it together That's so not, that you that, can finish this. <laughs> That's not where the word comes from in this context, but I actually don't care because arm barn is such a better name than bullpen. So frankly, we're, we're at the point where this is like horseshoe theory, where we've come back around, <laughs> where we disagreed on a lot, but we ended up in the same place. This was a good idea. I'm here for it. That's it. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> I I look I I actually have the the utmost respect for uh what they try to do even though they traffic more in viral stunts than they do uh actual activism which is not yeah. this is not the place to have that conversation reactionary alarmism right exactly but a broken clock is right twice a day right so here we are pita come on tipping pitches uh nope it's it has to be unanimous to be invited on tipping pitches and i do not condone that (laughs) you're saying no (laughs) i'm I'm saying no uh my first up this week was zach granke coming into a world series game as none other than a pinch hitter alex zach granke game five pinch hitter base hit to right field dh is dead more dead than it ever has been what a pro what an athlete an athlete's athlete getting on first base, rounding first, turning to Freddie Freeman and saying, let me get two more at-bats. I love Zach Greinke so much. It's, I do too. It's amazing that we just get to watch him in whatever this storm of a World Series is between the different forces of the Astros and the Braves and then all the reasons not to like either of those teams that are incredibly valid. And then there's just Zach Greinke standing in the middle of all of it in the eye of the storm just like, hey, I'm just going to get some hits. I'm a pitcher who's going to get some hits. Uh... I also wrote down underneath here just the John Boy tweet, just the just the John Boy oh, tweet God. about the about the pitchers wearing jackets on the base paths being the softest thing that he's ever seen. It's <laughs> truly hilarious. There's like I'd... if you called any major league baseball pitcher right now and said, "Is it soft to wear a jacket on the field?" I don't know. You might find five that would say yes, maybe. But come on, come on. Real whiff. What there. are we doing? What are we doing here? Real whiff. Grasping there. at straws. Yeah. Uh, Zach Ranky. We don't need to get in a DH argument because we're already going pretty long. So, what's your next up? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's my next up? You know what? We don't have to deal with anymore. Oh, your next Most up likely? is about the DH. The DH. Oh my. We may have just witnessed the last baseball game without a DH. Uh, without a DH. That was it. Zach Ranky put it to bed. Cool. I mean, what better a person to to do it? Cool. You know, and look, I'm not I, I I'm not going to get into an argument with it. Look, I there are there are elements about pitchers hitting that I will that I will really miss. I also think that if pitchers are actually good hitters, they'll still hit. Right? You'll see guys come in to pinch hit. Zach right? Granke should hit. I mean, y- yes, you could you could do it. Put him at the DH on his on his days off. I don't know about that. Uh, I I meant more like. Maldonado should have the DH spot for him instead, and Granky should keep his spot in the lineup. That's that's what I meant. I got you. I got you. <laughs> this is so dumb. I, I'm so exhausted of having this conversation with you. Pitcher should hit. The DH is bad. That is my opinion forever. 
I yes, I know. But again, I mean, if pitchers are are good enough to hit, they should still be able to hit, right? They still can. I still will you be using pitchers as pinch hitters? I still don't understand the motivating fact. I mean, it's happening in the literal World Series, so someone will do it. But Zach Greinke kind of feels like the exception to the rule, the the extreme exception to the rule. Okay, but sure. next pitchers up, are worse than they've ever been. Next Let's up go. for me, I'm just going to change the subject entirely. My next up is not about baseball at all but it is about sports and it was online alex have you seen the video of the new york knicks fans reacting to their season opener home opener the the home opener double overtime win yes i think i know what you're talking about uh this comes from side talk nyc which i had not heard of before this video was surfaced they interviewed Knicks fans after the game. There's really no way to do it justice if you haven't seen it yet. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play some select moments from this video. Double fucking overtime! What the fuck, baby? New York is fucking back. Knicks are here, baby. The Knicks are fucking here, baby. Fresh out the garden, baby. We're taking it all the way. We had De Blasio. We had Cuomo. It was rough shit. But we have the Knicks. That's New York. Knicks run New York City. <laughs> Bing bong. Tell me a little something, KD. Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks. Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks. Let's go, Knicks. The reason that I put it on my up this week is because I'm trying to imagine any baseball game eliciting that kind of response, any regular season baseball game eliciting that kind of response. If there was going to be a place where it would happen, it would be New York, and it would probably be for the Yankees because there's the most overlap of fans between the Knicks and the Yankees. But I could see I could see a little bit more of a Staten Island-y version of that happening for a big Mets win. Yeah. And I'm putting it in, in, my, in my mind's eye and I'm hoping that next year's Mets team does something worthy of this much excitement from the fan base. <laughs> I have to give it up to Knicks fans who, given their the, the, the success or lack thereof of the team in recent years and their, and their continued support, I, are probably more self-deprecating, more self-loathing than, than any fan base in baseball, save for perhaps... Mets fans and for that I have to I have to give it up for them they're they're sticking through it I truly think we should interview as many Knicks fans as are willing to participate and try to learn something from them about the different ways that you can bully ownership and still love your team above all else that you can just boo and humiliate James Dolan at every possible opportunity and try to run the guy who owns Madison Square Garden and the Knicks and the Rangers out of town and is worth like $8 billion. Try to run that guy out of town only based on mob mentality. It's amazing what they do. And I'm in awe of it. No baseball fan base can touch that. No, None. That's not even close. That is, that's collectivism right there. That's direct action. Mets fans wanted against the Wilpons what Knicks fans have against the Dolans. And Mets fans actually yeah. got rid of the Wilpons. But the Knicks fans are still doing a better job of amassing political capital against their owner. Yeah, well, also, I don't know that you can say Mets fans got rid of the Will Pons. Yeah, they just, they just happened didn't to, want to be do. a billionaire in the ballpark right. like, in, the, in the market for a team. Exactly, which is why what Knicks fans are doing is even more impressive. We should write yeah, books agreed. about them. Incredible <laughs> work by them. All right, your final up. My final up is about our president, Joseph Biden, okay. who flew. Oh, oh I know what this flew, is. 
halfway around the world this past week to tell Pope Francis a story about Satchel Page. Who among us? To a to a somewhat confused looking Pope Francis, who I think wasn't quite sure why he was being told a, a story about a, a a long dead iconic baseball player. Although I'm not sure how much uh, how much baseball news reverberates around Vatican City, <laughs> but but he Joe Biden went for it, uh, wrapping up his his 90 minute meeting uh, with with the Pope. He told a story about about Satchel Paige and and his age the 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 success that he found at his heightened age right obviously Satchel Paige pitched well into his into his 40s and 50s and found great success there and and still was managed to to be young at heart and this was i think Joe Biden's way of saying hey you and i we're we're young if we want to be yeah I would give anything to know what the Pope said to his interpreter after Joe Biden left. Yeah. Something like, I haven't watched since they instituted the DH. (laughs) No, the Pope's all about breaking tradition. Haven't you heard? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The the Pope said that gay people can live. (laughs) He's a communist. (laughs) Um, this is a really good one. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you included it. We've all been there where someone's telling you a story. It doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. It's usually with an older person, maybe an uncle, maybe a grandfather. And you know, to your pleasant surprise, they kind of bring it around at the end. I thought that what he yeah. said was pretty funny. Oh, it was. I mean, I it it made sense. It was obviously a little stilted because it was through an interpreter, so Biden had to kind of pause at each pivotal pivotal moment in the story. But uh, but it worked. I'm curious the process of how they came to to him telling this story. Like it certainly wasn't an on the spot thing where he was like, I I have something the Pope will appreciate. It might have an been anecdote. It could have been. It it could have been. Look, do we think his mind is nimble enough to pull that sort of thing out of his hat? Mm, no, no comment. Uh, I think I think the main criticism of Biden is not that he doesn't have a sense of humor. You know. That's you, that's true. You gotta kind of have a dark sense of humor to handle the climate the way that he's currently handling the climate. Uh, yeah, it's, that's true, or or not. Maybe Joe is the the third co-host that we're missing. Is is Joe Biden an irony, bro? I don't know. Uh, I think he's the exact opposite of that. I wish that Bob Kendrick could tell the Pope some stories about oh, God about Satchel Page. <laughs> Facts. All right. Uh, enough about. The actual president. What's your what's and your final the actual pope? Um, remember that time that we saw the pope? We didn't know that we were going to see the pope, and all of a sudden, a man comes we out around, comes we out of like, a window is, and he starts speaking loudly through is a speaker. Everyone looking up. What is everyone pointing all at? This, over all there? that commotion. Everybody pulled out their cell phones and their selfie sticks. Like a cardinal or something. And then it was uh, the pope. I don't know. Bishop. The pope just started pope. praying out onto the courtyard that we were in. He's just praying. That was fun. Uh, all right, my final up this week, Alex. You know what it is. The final up is that next week is our two hundredth episode. I'm both cheating because I don't want to come up with another up again this week, but also using this as one final opportunity on the podcast to plug the two hundredth episode and tell you if you have a burning question about anything about Alex and I's level of spoken and written Italian, about our many fun stories abroad, hanging out with the Pope, telling stories about Satchel Page about 
our friendship, how we came to know each other, our <laughs> lives before the podcast, our lives after the podcast eventually gets pulled off of the internet because Rob Manfred hones his team of lawyers onto us after he's done worrying about the upcoming CBA. Anything you want to know, really, please ask it. Tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Tipping underscore pitches on Twitter in DMs. 785-422-5881 to call into the show. Anything else to leave the people with this week, Alex? Well, I'd love to hear if any of you listeners have, have thoughts on what a Tipping Pitches fan is called. We never came to a conclusion last week. We had some people write in with some with some thoughts, but we're trying to cast a wide net. So as always, that's really the that's that's really the one I'm I'm looking forward to the most. But other than that, we'll we'll see how the next couple of weeks goes. Actually, after this 200th episode, our CBA happens to be expiring <laughs> as well. So we're in our own protracted negotiations. I'd hate to have to find a replacement host uh, in the interim. Which one but... of us is the boss? <laughs> That's a good that's a good question. My mother. Oh wow. We're going across the table from your mom. We're gonna lose that. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Ran my little league. I'm not going to tell you. She can play hardball. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week and enjoy the uh, the end of the World Series. Thanks for participating in our revitalization of podcasting this week. We'll talk to you next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!